the letter of uh, Philippians that Paul writes. So I'm going to start us right out with that throughout the, the course of the summer. Someone can announce what's the uh, page number in the Pew Bible. Philippians chapter 1, 981. 980, right around that area. I can't quite hear. Um, Philippians 1, this is uh, God's word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Uh, You may be seated. Father, thank you that we uh, can call you that. Uh, Would you grant to us, your sons and daughters, childlike faith so that we would see and treasure Christ. For we ask in his name. Amen. I'm only going to do these first two verses, although uh, I'm going to highlight other things by way of introduction. We've all heard it. We've all seen it. Uh, Sometimes it's on social media. Someone will comment or post uh, while taking a selfie, maybe at the beach or something. Uh, I'm in my happy place. Thank you. You know what I was going to say. They might say, I'm anticipating. Where are you going this week? Well, I'm going to my happy place. Uh, You're maybe going on vacation to see family or maybe it's vacation away from family. Uh, Maybe it's a a gathering. That's your happy place. Maybe it's. It's the company you're with is your happy place, or maybe it's the company you're without and you're alone with a book, or maybe it's a particular venue or a particular activity, a recreational activity. Whether it involves people or a place, it's a location where you can have the greatest likelihood of contentment, right, and happiness. I say likelihood because there's no guarantee, right? There's no, there's no locked guarantee, For me, what is it for you, by the way? Where is it? Who is it? What is your happy place? For me, it's here with you on the Lord's Day. I'm not talking about this location. I'm saying with God's people. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual or religious right now. I'm just telling you this with God's people worshiping God with with his praises from his word, receiving his word, receiving the blessing of his sacrament. That's my happy place. It's, it's when I know that I'm, I'm supposed to be here. There's, there's, there's plenty of places to be, but I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm where I should be and I need to be and, and, and subsequently want to be most of the time. You know, you, you think about this, right? Like e- even if it was a weekday and, uh, and you're... you're you're at your happy place. Let's say it is the beach. That can be soured with just a phone call. A, a, a lurking reminder maybe that oh, I'm supposed to be somewhere else or I've been procrastinating about such and such and now I, all I can think about even in my happy place is that thing that I'm supposed to tend to. Right? Are you with me? C.S. Lewis Writes, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. This is this is the this is the time, this is the place I'm supposed to be. Plus, I like you. That's a that's a that's an added benefit. 
I love all of you, and, and most of you I like. I, you know, church is one of those families. Well, family in general is something you don't get to pick, right? Your family is your friends you get to choose. But your family, they're just yours. And so the, the body of Christ, Christians, they're your family, and you don't get to choose them. And, and some of them you like and you become friends with. I would be your friends, even if we weren't a church family, I think. Just three avenues I want to explore by way of introduction to this book and just to exposit these two verses. Him, them, and us. It's it's listed there in the order of service. The first heading, him, who is this, quote, servant of Christ? The second is them, the church in Philippi, who are these saints in Christ? And then lastly, us. What are we to see from Christ. Another way of putting it is his world, their world, our world. The, the, the writer, his primary audience, and then we as modern day readers, that part of that expanded audience, if you will, by God's design. I mean, I'm sure Paul maybe had no idea that there would be these people reading this letter like 2,000 years later. It's a remarkable thought, right? That there would be people today who gathered at St. Paul's whatever church, Episcopal, Methodist. I used to go to St. Paul's Presbyterian Church in Florida. It's hot there, but they have AC in their churches. But anyway, thanks for being here. This is where you're supposed to be. That There would be people reading Paul's letters and worshiping the living God. It's kind of cool. Who is this servant of Christ? The Apostle Paul, previously Saul of Tarsus, a Jewish, uh, a Jewish leader, a, a, a mind, bright, sharp. He was also uh, quick to write, sharp mind, active pen. He writes 13 of the, uh, the books of the New Testament. And, and we know that he previously, he testifies, and other uh, extra-biblical sources do too, that he was a hater of Christians. The followers of Christ he despised. And uh, wanted to persecute and rout out. But he was converted. God pursued him. And we read in Acts, right? That dramatic conversion. Last year when we studied the, uh, the, uh, the book of Acts. Luke's recording of... And, and then Paul's recording of it too in Acts 22. That he had this dramatic conversion. He becomes a devoted follower of Christ. He becomes a messenger. He becomes a church planter. He becomes a a traveling missionary. He's very passionate about the cause of Christ. In Acts 16, which I would encourage you to read, which is the the backdrop to what what we encounter in uh, Philippians, Acts 16 gives that fuller story. We read there that Paul, uh, in Acts, he left Jerusalem. His companion was Silas. And later he picked up another companion, which would have been uh, Timothy that we read. And so they're, they're traveling, and they're trying to make it to a particular destination. And then they try another d- destination, Troas, which is Troy, the city of Troy. Uh, but it's told, it's recorded in Acts 16, verse 7, that the Spirit of Christ did not allow them. So partly in providence, partly in God's guidance. And then we even read in Acts 16 that Paul has a dream in which there's a vision of someone calling from the region of Macedonia, saying, come help us. So he heads there, and uh, they take a ship to the, the city uh, in the region of Macedonia, Philippi. And Philippi is a, is a Roman colony. Um, it's, it's in modern-day Greece, 
But they don't speak Greek there because they're trying to keep with the coolness of uh, being part of the, the, the empire. And the capital of that empire is what? Rome. So they, they're a Roman colony. They speak Latin. And uh, they conduct themselves in their garb and their customs and everything to be as much like uh, the Romans. They're even considered, Philippi was an ancient city con- considered to be a little uh, Rome. When he arrives, when Paul arrives, he finds a small group of women. And, uh, and they are the, the, the only followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's not enough men, there's not enough Jews in the city to actually have a synagogue. So they just meet outside the city near the river. And this group of women who are seeking Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, to, to worship God, they're met by Paul. And he's, he's going to introduce them to Messiah, to the fulfillment. And, and, and what, what we find there is this, there's this prominent woman who's a leader, a wealthy woman, Lydia. And it says in Acts 16 that the Lord opened her heart and she followed Christ. And, and, and presumably other, uh, other folks there, she was, Lydia was baptized, her whole household was baptized. Then Paul does this daring thing. It's a beautiful thing. Not everyone thought it was beautiful. But there was a little girl, a slave girl in the town of Philippi who was, uh, was tormented, but she was profitable. We read this already uh, last year in Acts. Remember? And the little girl, this demon is a fortune-telling demon. Okay? And, and, and it brings profit to her owner. And so when, when, whenever the demon comes out of her, well, then the, the owner is, is, is outraged. And there's a, there's a public outrage is what's happened. They can't rejoice that she's been healed and follow the living God who delivered her. No, they're like, you're just like the, the, you know, the, the, the herdsman of the pig. They're like, Jesus is bad for business. Get out of here. They, they, they get violent with Jesus. They beat him up. He gets thrown in jail for causing a, a you know, public disgrace and an outbreak. And then while he's in jail, what happens? He's miraculously delivered. There's an earthquake that happens. He breaks away from his shackles and chains, and he's freed. And then the jailer who wakes up after all this looks at him and realizes, you're free, but you haven't left. I, I don't understand this. I, I mean, I, I was about to kill myself. And he says, no, 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 don't hurt yourself. We're here, we're here. Thinking that he was going to be busted. And he says, what can I do to be saved? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He believes. His whole household is baptized. And so now there's like this, this, small, this small band which becomes a church plant of, of these folks. As a result of his initial ministry. But Paul is asked to leave the city. He visits with them after he's out of jail for a, for a season. But eventually... For the sake of what's best, he's asked to leave. And this group of women, presumably meeting in, what well, we're told they meet in Lydia's home, uh, along with his slave girl and the jailer, like I said, form a church plant, the core group of a church plant. Now, with Paul writing this letter to them, it's a dozen years later. The church has grown. Paul's updating them on what's happened with him. He's thanking him. He has previously because they were generous to him. He needed to survive. They provided for him sometimes on his journey. Sometimes when he was in prison, they would send resources and, and money to him to support his life and ministry. Many of Paul's letters, actually most all of Paul's letters begin with this. I, like most correspondents, not signed off with the name and a greeting. Uh, but beginning with the greeting, he says, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you read that here? No, he didn't say that. He says here that he is a servant 
of Christ Jesus. And, and I think it's, I mean, perhaps it's because they already know him so well that he doesn't need to appeal to that authority. But I think it's partly because he wants to communicate that he indeed is just that, a servant. It's a humbling place. That word is doulos. It means a, a slave, not just a servant. Obviously, some people become slaves, no, no choice of their own. Others do as a bond servant for a time or a season. Paul's saying, I'm going to take the low road. And I'm glad to be a servant for your sake, which is going to be important. It also aligns him with who? With Jesus Christ. Thank you. With Jesus himself. Philippians 2 verse 7, it says that he took on the form Jesus in the incarnation, took on the form of a servant, a slave. For our sakes, he humbled himself. He's in good company. He's content with that. It's actually going to be an important theme because... He wants them, later we'll see this in the letter, he wants them to experience unity as a church. And he can't have unity with pride. He, he knows that they need humility. It's being a servant now that is Paul's happy place. That sounds strange. He's on, he's on mission. He's in his happy place. He's, he's beaten. He's shipwrecked. He's been hungry. Now he's in prison. He's in prison and he writes to these people. He does not bemoan his circumstances. He encourages them to join with him in rejoicing in the Lord. Wow. That's all you can say, right? I mean, this is actually, man, this is a man who is commending joy. And who would have thought that the, the, road, uh, the road to freedom, you know, to, to joy is, is slavery? He lives in poverty. He lives in pain. Right now he's living in, in uncertainty because he doesn't know whether the sentence is going to be served out. It's life or death for him. It's later in the, the letter that we read these phrases. Some of these you'll know. Some of these maybe you've even memorized. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That was, that was our call to worship this morning. Other things. Maybe just to encourage you is where we're going. What does he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God, he goes on elsewhere to say, will meet all of your needs in Christ Jesus according to his glorious riches. What else does he say in this letter? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present, make your request be made known to God. I'm getting excited about unpacking those, but that's because there's a context too. These are not just sentimental throwaways. It's all rooted and grounded in a context. And that's why we make our way through books, you know, as we do. To understand not the, the, the grab and takeaway, but the context and, and the circumstances. It means a whole lot more when Paul, we know that Paul has been in prison, <laughs> right? That he is commending to them joy. There's a deep relational context for him with the Philippians. So let's move on. Them. Who are these? He mentions them in verse 1. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus. Paul went on to, to plant other churches. But it's pretty obvious that Philippi was his favorite. That there was a, there was a deep love and affection for them. It, it's going to come out as we, as we unpack and read further. Very clearly, his desire is for them to know and enjoy a depth, a sweet experience of fellowship. They're a growing church. They're also a persecuted church. And sure, they have they have leaders like uh, Lydia with resources. 
But many of them would have been Greek speakers and they would have been part of the lower rung, the lower uh, society, cast in the society. Perhaps they are still meeting at Lydia's home. Perhaps they're meeting outdoors. Uh, We don't know. But we do know that they were persecuted and they were opposed. And yet they were still delighted to meet. And we know that they were organized as a particular, they were constituted as a church in part because he addresses them as such. He says, he writes, remember, he writes to the overseers and the, the deacons, which means the elders and the deacons. So he's highlighting that there is there is leadership over a particular group, not just this loose federation of, of Christians that every once in a while uh, might get together. There's an organized church, and he highlights uh, the leaders, but he writes the letter to who? To all the saints. To all of them. What does that mean? That they are saints. The, the word is, is holy. They're, they are, they're the holy ones. They're set apart. That they are, dis, they are to be, there's, a, there's an ethical, just like in the old covenant, people of God chosen uh, by him and, and set apart as a people. Uh, we as the, the new covenant community as well are to be distinct. And there's an ethical you know, impact and uh, implication to the fact that we are made holy to then live holy, to be different, to be not not as uh, as uh, influenced by the corruption of the world, transformed by God's grace. Then Paul uses this in very important prepositional phrase: "In Christ, they are the saints in Christ." He's locating them. Positionally. Now this is going to relate to their world and, and our world, their happy place, our happy place. Where have you been? Let's do, let's do some locating, right? Some of you are in trouble. Some of you, I, I would hope, uh, last night were in bed. Maybe some of you young, young parents weren't in bed as much as you wanted to be, thanks to crying babies. Some of you have been in rehab. Some of you have been in a jam. Some of you even have been in jail. Some of you are in pain. Some of you are in a fog. Some of you are in school. Not much longer. You get the picture. say this to you again. I'm saying it to myself. If you have repented, turned from sin and trusted in the gospel, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. It's a mysterious and beautiful thing. His record, our record. That's why we can be called saints. His life, his victory, it's ours. And by the way, that bond, it cannot be altered or broken. We are secure in him. He is our joy. All of us, my friends, let me state the obvious, are in a broken world. And some of you 
by God's mercy, are in Christ. Now, I've already moved on, but let's officially get to our last question. This is all kind of mingled together, the answers to these things. Sorry. Here's what it is. Us. What are we to see from Christ? We've seen Paul, who is a servant of Christ. We've seen these saints who are in Christ. What are we to see and receive from Christ? Have you ever been in a public place? Let's just say maybe a a grocery store. And you're walking around and you catch out of the corner of your eye someone that you do not want to cross paths with on the dairy aisle. Or any aisle. In fact, you're, you're, kind, you're kind of lurking to wait and see, have they checked out yet? Because I'm not going up there running the risk. I'm going to stay back here in the most obscure part of the seafood place, whatever. I don't want to see them because why? Maybe it's because you owe them something. Maybe you're indebted to this person. I've been on the giving and the receiving end of this too, by the way. Maybe you owe them an apology. Maybe you owe them an explanation. Perhaps you owe them some money. But you don't want to see them, not only for the awkwardness, but because what are they to have for you? Maybe hard words. Maybe there's an offense. Maybe there's an awkwardness. Something we avoid until perhaps we cannot. And what is it they have for us? It's not a benediction. It's not a good word. Let me just tell you this morning. Never is such the case with our Heavenly Father. He has for us a greeting. And it's, well, it's verse 2. Grace and peace. It's over you. It's over you that he can pronounce in Christ. Those of you in Christ, he can say to you, the banner is grace and peace. Christ is the source of these of this dual blessing, grace that unmerited favor that we so desperately need to stand and relate to a God who is entirely other and holy. By nature, we are not in Christ. We're not in the family of God at all. That's how, when we said the Heidelberg Catechism, we need to know and have awareness of our sin and our misery. It's a miserable thing to not be in Christ. To not be a son or daughter of the Most High God. Ephesians 2, we're reminded of this. Paul writes elsewhere to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, there's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then verse 14 says this, for he himself is our peace. Grace and peace, the source of which is Christ alone. You can't produce it, manufacture it, you can't earn it, and you can't lose it.
Well, back to my original question. Where's your happy place? I mean, we, we know this, okay? This is, this is not profound. Happiness is an emotion that fluctuates. And that's natural, right? That's, that's, a, that's completely normal. That's to be anticipated. The, the, the phone call that can sour your day at your happy place, wherever that is, It's entirely, be, it's, it's to be expected. It's one of the reasons that I love singing the hymns, because they don't avoid this. It's the emotions of things like sorrow and lament that we still sing about. It's real. It's a reflection of real life. But joy is something different. Joy is a spiritual grace it's not a circumstantial coincidence. Joy is a spiritual grace. It's not, a, it's not tied to circumstances and it's not coincidental. As one commentator, Kent Hughes, put it so well, it is a particular joy. It is a mature joy. A joy that is of and a joy that is from Christ. True joy is not merely an emotion. I'm not saying it's, it's less than that. It's just more. True joy is not merely an emotion. And the more we locate it so deeply in Christ, unlike other things, even good things like relationships and uh, a variety of experiences and family or our physical health, it cannot be lost. You know, we really need to hear this, right? As we think about studying through Philippians, we need to hear this in a world that's marked and filled at times with anxiety, uncertainty, afflictions, broken promises, broken trust. There is a blessing, a greeting from our Father of grace and peace. And it overflows to produce joy that is authored and anchored in Jesus. It's, it's authored and it's anchored in some place and somewhere outside of us. It is not natural. It is super natural. Now, so as we do work our way through the letter, by the way, let me just give you a couple of, of encouragements. One of which is uh, be here. I know Bobby says it. It's so it's so well put. Just because it's summer and it's warmer outside doesn't mean you need Jesus less. So let's come together and let's 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 be in God's word together. And then and then read Philippians. It takes about I did it this week. It takes about 10, 15 minutes to read through it. Some of you are already reading through it. Why? It's part of community Bible reading. I, I, that was just ironic that this week we, we started into the book of Philippians. So tomorrow morning, if you're doing community Bible reading, and you're, maybe you're not, pick it back up. I've got several copies in the back here. You're in Philippians 3. The other thing I would say, just a practical encouragement, is this. Pray for me. Pray my heart will be open. <laughs> it's tempting sometimes to let this just run over me instead of run through and in me. I want it to come to us. I want it to work through me. Pray for you. Pray that God will open your heart and mind, that he will teach us things of great joy. There's a reason this book 
is often known as the letter of joy. For good reason. It's mentioned, the word alone in various form is mentioned over a dozen times. I think it's like 16 times, something like that. I mean, it's what I titled the sermon, you know, a personal letter of joy. But in the course of my study, I realized it's not. It's actually not. Because the most common noun that Paul uses is Jesus. This is a book about Jesus. Pray with me, please. I'm going to close with this Puritan prayer from the Valley of Vision. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be made low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter your stars shine. Let me, let us, Lord, find your light in our darkness, your life in our valley, your joy in our sorrow, your grace in our sin, your riches in our poverty, your glory in our valley. Father, these things just ring so true. And even if they don't, by faith, would you plant them in our hearts to exercise these realities? We acknowledge right now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are the fountain of joy. And I pray that you would forgive me, that you would forgive us for trying to find that that source of joy elsewhere. Lord, I, I know that things can rob us. No, really, we let things rob us of joy. Teach us, Lord. Help us to go deep in faith into the mystery of Christ. I pray that you would draw near... Uh, This day to those whose circumstances would tempt them otherwise. Lord, I know that there are people in the course of your own providence. They find themselves in the valley, whether sorrow or grief or uncertainty, temptation, addiction, ailments, conflicts. This is a broken world, but thank you that we can be in Christ. We pray all these things in his name, even now as he taught his disciples to pray saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.